Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Friday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. You might hear a little glee in my voice. We've actually made it four days in the new normal, broadcasting from remote locations. Me at my house, James at his, and Clark, well, at his house. And... Um, Kind of getting the hang of this whole thing, although we've had some technical challenges along the way. Well, today, of course, is Friday, which means we're going to take a look at some of the lighter side of the news. We're also going to talk with Pastor Greg Allen, uh, giving him an opportunity to tell us a little bit about what life is like for him as a pastor, sheltering in place. He has a member of the family who is particularly vulnerable and circumstances that are challenging for him, just like the rest of us. So we're going to talk with Pastor Greg a bit later in today's program. Also, our interview of the week will be Paul Touches. He's the author of A Small Book for the Hurting Heart. All of that coming up today on the Friday edition of The Georgine Rice Show. We want to begin by giving you a glimpse of some of the day's news. Well, you might recall there was something of a gloomy prediction from the Imperial College of London. They've apparently revised that uh, prediction down. Now, again, it was very gloomy. Uh, Nine days ago, the Imperial College claimed that the U.S. would lose up to 2 million Americans. Their new numbers now say just 84,000, again with two-thirds predicted to die within the next six months without coronavirus. Without coronavirus. Did you catch that? Well, the White House Coronavirus Task Force member Deborah Burke says, if you remember, that was the report that said there were going to be 500,000 deaths in the U.K., 2.2 million deaths in the United States. They've adjusted that number in the U.K. to 20,000, so half a million to 20,000. We're looking into this uh, in great detail to understand that adjustment. So these are predictions based primarily on mathematical models, not on what we know to be true about how this virus is going to function moving ahead. Dr. Neil Ferguson, whose team led the study, says that they stand by their original figure. So there's some contradiction there. From another story, um, models like this uh, will always turn out to be wrong in some way or other because they rely on very strong assumptions about aspects of the disease we haven't thoroughly studied yet. If nothing else, the original imperial model will be obsolete soon, maybe already, because it didn't predict what could happen with uh, extensive testing and contact tracing, uh, which is likely the next step once the spread is contained and we have enough tests to go around. But it hasn't been walked back just yet. So these predictions are to be taken with a grain of salt. They're certainly interesting, but they don't necessarily give us a very clear picture of what's to come. Well, New York is going to perform a massive real-time experiment with hydroxychloroquine. Uh, From the story, doctors are going to give out the drug freely and carefully chart what happens. In a few weeks, we'll have meaningful numbers about doses, survival rates, effectiveness at different stages of the disease, and so on. Normally, it takes nine months or so to arrange something like this. New York's rolling it out in three days. The clinical trials uh, will merely end up confirming what doctors in New York, uh, New York City discover first. 
So that's an interesting aspect of this whole thing. And police apparently are cracking down on citizens who violate social distancing around the country. In New York City, for example, they've started dismantling basketball hoops to prevent people from gathering in parks and playing. In Lakewood, New Jersey, police broke up a wedding being held in violation of a ban on large gatherings. And in Austin, Texas, officers are encouraging people to call a hotline to snitch on violators of the city's orders there for people to stay home. And Americans in a new survey have deemed the media the worst at the response to the coronavirus. In a list that spans U.S. hospitals to Congress and even the vice president, the news media finishes dead last. They are the only one on that list with a higher disapproval than approval rating. Um, This reality is a disaster for a liberal democracy, and much of it is uh, brought on by the press's own blinking, sanctimonious, and transparently partisan temperament during a time like this. On the topic, I could provide a book-length list of grievances, even days being an exasperating number of misleading and bad-faith takes of political journalists and fact-checkers. Well, the United States has passed China in terms of the number of of COVID-19 cases, assuming China's numbers are to be trusted. And at this point, we are assuming. Many have noted that Jim Acosta's tweet that the U.S. has just passed China, a country four times larger in population. Uh, From Jay Cost, stop shilling for the the communists, uh, he says, and relying on their interpretation of what's happening here. And China opens for business as workers are returning. uh, The story says that many Chinese factories find demand for their products has evaporated. Consumers in China and elsewhere are reluctant to spend uh, over um, uh, worries about what they have lost and what lies ahead. And the World Health Organization says there's no need to wear a mask. It's a strange tweet that came from the World Health Organization. Ross uh, Dothat says this is just straight up misinformation. And as you might recall, the World Health Organization has been called into question as an organization that's not necessarily functioning in the world's best interest. Meanwhile, the Department of Justice is siding with the Connecticut female athletes, uh, I should say with female athletes, who are seeking the right to compete against other females and only other biological females. Well, Mr. Sanders, also known as Senator Sanders and candidate Sanders, could stay in the race until June. His staff is keeping busy. Uh, Vice President Biden or former Vice President Biden said the president's um, approval ratings haven't gone up during the crisis and got fat checked live. He's dealing with an uh, old sexual assault claim as well in his run up for his party's nomination. And uh, Salem is streaming no safe places. Well, despite the film's popularity, at least in conservative circles, Dennis Prager told Newsweek, where you'll find the article, that the filmmakers were unable to strike a deal with traditional streamers due to what he says is a political bias in Hollywood. So he took it to the radio employer, Salem. That's the same radio employer of this station. Dave Santrella, Salem's president of broadcast media, said no safe spaces will stream on demand for 1999 for 60 days. Apart from Salem, the filmmakers are negotiating a distribution deal that will put DVDs on the shelves this summer. Earlier in the day, the big news story was whether or not a rogue, in quotes, Republican, could stall coronavirus relief vote. House members feared that that might uh, put an end to things, at least in the short term. Furious lawmakers voiced serious concerns on Capitol Hill late Thursday that that Republican member could be a rogue and possibly scuttle a vote on the $2 trillion coronavirus stimulus package. Well, 
it did pass, and we'll talk to you more about that later in the program. Well, the president has downplayed the worst-case coronavirus scenarios. I don't believe you need 40,000 to 30,000 ventilators, he said. He expressed skepticism uh, Thursday night that the worst-case scenarios would come to pass in the U.S., I have a feeling that a lot of the numbers that are being said in some areas are just bigger than they're going to be, the president said on Hannity. Now, the uh, London University that recently backtracked its numbers might be the reason the president has taken that stance. But, of course, only time will tell what the actual numbers will be, which is a good reason for us to continue to pray for the nation, to pray for those on the front lines serving the population and for those decision makers who are orchestrating events that will support them. On this day in history, 1995, Forrest Gump wins six Academy Awards, including Best Picture and a second consecutive Best Actor uh, Oscar for Tom Hanks. Jessica Lange wins Best Actress, actress rather, for Blue Sky. On this day in history, 1513, Spanish explorer, explorer rather, Juan Ponce de Leon puts his sights on present-day Florida. And 1933, on this day, Japan officially withdraws from the League of Nations. On this day in history, 1942, during World War II, Congress grants American servicemen free first-class mailing privileges. 1958, Nikita Khrushchev becomes Soviet premier in addition to first secretary of the Communist Party. On this day in history, 1964, Alaska is hit by a magnitude 9.2 earthquake, the strongest on record in North America, the tsunami that... um, Uh, followed together claimed 130 lives on this day in history in 1975 construction begins on the trans alaska pipeline which would be completed two years later 2006 al-qaeda conspirator zacharias musawi he testifies at at his federal trial that he was supposed to hijack a fifth airplane on september 11 2001 to fly it into the white house And those are some of the top news stories. Well, as I mentioned, Congress okayed the $2 trillion stimulus and and historic coronavirus response as representatives' objections were sidelined. The uh, vote on Friday overwhelmingly approved a more than $2 trillion package to combat the pandemic and send economic relief to workers and businesses squeezed by restrictions meant to stop the outbreak of the spread. Now, the legislation approved by voice vote despite 11th-hour drama arising from a GOP lawmaker's objections amount to the costliest stimulus plan in U.S. history. It includes checks for most Americans, boosted unemployment aid, help for small businesses, as well as a massive loan fund for corporations at a time when unemployment is surging at a record pace, a consequence of businesses closing in compliance with social distancing guidelines. The bill, already approved by the Senate, now goes to the president, who has now signed it. This bill is not only a rescue package, it is a commitment that your government and the people whom you elected to serve will do everything we can to limit the harm and hardship you face, both now and in the foreseeable future. That's a quote from House GOP leader Kevin McCarthy. And uh, he said prior to the vote, uh, the American public, if you do your part, I promise we will do ours. Well, their part has been done for good or for ill. And that two point uh, uh, that two trillion dollar stimulus has now been signed into law. It's probably better referred to as a relief package than a stimulus. But nonetheless, you get the idea and details will become uh, clearer in the days ahead. We're going to take a quick break. When we return, we'll take a look at some of the lighter side of the news. And later in this hour, we'll talk with Pastor Greg Allen. We'll talk about navigating a pandemic with faith and purpose. So stay with us. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. 
You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. With a bit of the lighter side of the news, James Blend is going to join us for this portion of the program. Uh, of course, he is at his home studio. I'm at mine, so we can't see each other. So I'm, I'm hoping we can pull this off, James. How are you feeling about it? I'm feeling pretty good about it. I'm feeling, I'm okay. feeling excited. I'm feeling hyped. I'm feeling you know, just generally you know, positive. And verbose. Okay, well, that's good. Uh, A survey of stay-at-home workers in the United States suggests that 12% of workers have kept their cameras switched off during video calls due to a lack of clothing. I thought we might need to address this and clarify a few things. Well, according to Mentimeter, an interactive presentation tool announced it's commissioned a survey of 1,500 people working from home amid the COVID-19 pandemic and found that 12% of respondents admitted to keeping their video cameras off during meetings on Zoom, on Skype, on Google Hangouts, because they were not clothed appropriately for said meetings. Now, in the interest of clarifying um, our position, I want listeners to know that we have taken this very seriously, and we are fully clothed. In fact, I'm on a um, Skype screen with James, uh, and we have... uh, we're practicing the appropriate decorum for putting on a program like this. Would that be correct, James? Yes, I I, I would say so. And the fact that you know, I don't, I don't have a camera on this particular computer is is meaningless. It's a uh, I have certainly participated uh, in uh, several meetings this week via conference call that involved video on other computers and phones, and uh, I have always been appropriately dressed for the situation. You know, sans for maybe one or two times I may have had pajama pants on. Okay, I I have a confession to make. Uh, I'm wearing pajama pants for the first time in 30 years. I'm wearing my outdoor nice pajamas. Well, the 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 the, you know the question has to be is did you have to dust them off 30 years? I mean, really? (laughs) Well, I mean, (laughs) no. In 30 years of broadcasting, I've never worn anything other than street clothes. And I remember early on when Lou Davies and I were co-hosting this program, someone asked, have you ever done the show in your pajamas? And I thought, what a ridiculous question. Of course, I've never done a show in pajamas. Well, today, ladies and gentlemen, I'm wearing my pajamas. Now, just to clarify, these are pajamas, the kind that you would wear uh, if you were going outside to bring the garbage cans up or if you were getting the mail. They're the kind of thing. They look like regular clothes, but they're actually pajamas. But here on this Friday, I thought it's the first week of being at home. It's a fun Friday. I'm wearing my pajamas. I don't know how much of these are inside pajamas. Mine has a Scrooge McDuck on them uh, from the Ducktales. So you know that. Are, I don't... You, are you wearing those? Yeah. You're wearing pajama pants. Oh yeah. Really? Wow, we've broken new ground. Oh yeah, no, I've I actually the let's see here. This is what day four. Uh, I yes. think day day two was my first day doing the show in pajama pants. I'm I'm. <laughs> Seriously? Oh, yeah. Well, how serious could you be? You're wearing duck pajamas. I just want to also say that this is the only day that I will be wearing pajamas, but I wanted to give it a a whirl. I'm a little embarrassed because later in the program, in fact, our next segment, we're going to talk with Pastor Greg Allen, so don't tell him. I want this to be our secret because it's a, a serious conversation with a pastor, and you don't want him to know that you're sitting there in your outdoor pajamas. Now, mind, mind you, these are outdoor pajamas. For those times, times you that you go to bed outside? Like, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I suppose I could. 
anyway. Out, outdoor pajamas. That may be the first time I've ever heard the term outdoor pajamas. Well, you know, there are pajamas that look, it looks more like a sweatsuit. You could wear, they're lighter, but they're, it looks like a sweatsuit and you would wear them and people wouldn't say, why are they wearing their pajamas in the grocery store? Now, I've never worn them to the grocery store. I'm just using that as an example. But anyway, in the interest of confession and full disclosure, now you know. By the way, that company that did the survey, they also said 44% of those surveyed admitted they dressed in more professional attire specifically for video meetings, while 16% said that they had uh, reimagined their homes, uh, or rather rearranged their homes to look more professional in the background of their video call. So I'm just sitting in Dan Rice's office. No one can see me, but you know I'm in an official office in my outdoor pajamas. So there you have it. Oh, I just feel so free all of a sudden. Uh, let's see. Uh, you know, there are a lot of people who are coming out of the woodwork to do generous things during this COVID-19 pandemic. One customer, uh, this is in Miami, left a $10,000 tip to be divided among the employees of a Florida restaurant. Apparently, they were still but going to restaurants. This was a day before it was forced to close because of the coronavirus outbreak, according to the owner. The owner of Skillets in Naples, Florida, said on the restaurant's Facebook page that on Thursday, the day before, that the gesture shows that uh, there are still truly fantastic people in the world. We have an amazing Skillets family that extends to our guests as well. Uh, the owner went on to say, we couldn't be happier to be a part of a community where they type, uh, where this type of generosity exists. So good news, people are being very generous to one another when possible. Now, you and I, James, we don't have $10,000 to drop on a restaurant, but we can drop in on a restaurant and uh, do a little takeout and offer some encouraging words, uh, leave a good tip, and support the businesses in our community. Yeah, I've definitely found that I am a, uh, I've always liked to think that I'm a reasonable to generous tipper in general. Uh, mm -hmm. But uh, I've definitely, especially when deliveries are involved, have been uh, extra generous on that uh, over the past couple of weeks as this thing has, has spiraled a bit. Uh, but yeah. um, I've also... Uh, We've we've made our point to once or twice a week we're eating out, um, you know whether it's ordering you know for delivery or going to pick it up and uh, you know trying to focus specifically on you know the local businesses that are a little bit more able to uh, that we were able to help a little bit more than perhaps a chain restaurant. Not that they don't uh, you know not that they don't have their needs too. I think uh, we're all hurting. Yeah. Yeah. I was in Fred Meyer yesterday buying groceries. We're only going when we need them. We're not hoarding things. But I went and got lunch meat and the guy who uh, sliced it for me and handed it over, I just expressed my gratitude. Thank you for being here. I really appreciate it. I hope you're taking every uh, step to, to keep safe. I really, uh, you know, he just seemed so blessed that someone would appreciate the fact that he was there to serve us. And, you know, when you're in proximity to lots of people, there is a modicum of risk, I suppose. But uh, that that small thank you in a long way in uh, in Fred Meyer's in the meat section. And then there's this, you know, a lot of people are wearing those face masks whether or not they should or whether or not they um they can find them. But in Sofia, which is in Bulgaria, they're producing cheerful face masks <laughs> helping to combat the spread of the novel coronavirus. So in Bulgaria, they um have a small company there in the capital city of, uh, I guess, Sofia, the capital city of Bulgaria. And the masks are printed with owls and dinosaurs, llamas and monkeys, and will soon find their way to hundreds of doctors and policemen who are struggling to get their hands on the protective gear they need, the PPE that we're hearing so much about. So this is a worldwide phenomenon, and one company in particular is saying, you know, if we're going to provide the stuff, let's make it a little more cheerful as people are uh, going about doing their work. 
And then there's this. There is a bakery that is producing Dr. Fauci donuts, uh, says the demand is skyrocketing, and now they have plans for two more Doc Donuts, as they're calling them. And to think all this time, donut shops have been decorating their goods with just plain old sprinkles. Well, this donut shop, this is in Rochester, New York. They recently saw business explode after they started decorating donuts with the likeness of Dr. Anthony Fauci, who is the longtime director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases that we're seeing regularly in the briefings with the president and uh, one of the most respected immunologists in the world. Well, the owner of Salvatore's Pizza uh, brand says that he came up with the idea to start putting Dr. Fauci's face on donuts after he was approached by Donut Delight, it's a franchise owner, uh, who runs the donut shop out of uh, the pizza parlor, which is sort of an odd thing to wrap your head around. He called me last Monday, the owner says, of the pizza parlor. Uh, Basically, half his business was down, so they decided, let's try something novel. He got his employees to have... uh, Uh, He has employees that have been with him for about 10 years, got them to make these uh, donuts, and the rest is history. So Dr. Donuts, or rather Doc Donuts, Dr. Fauci's image is on the donuts, along with the sprinkles and other delightful images on these these donuts. And one other thing, you might want to consider this, James, with your little girl. Kids are putting rainbow pictures in their windows. These are children all around the world. They're posting handmade rainbow artwork in their windows of their homes to spread hope and cheer during the dark days of the coronavirus pandemic. Earlier this month, many families in Italy started posting drawings and paintings and banners of rainbows with the message, Tutto andrà bene. I'm sure I just sound anything like how they say it, but everything will turn out okay, they're writing. And in the weeks since, the trend is spread throughout Europe. The rainbow signs later popped up in people's windows in the UK, the US, Canada, and according uh, to People magazine, all over the world. So if you see a um, uh, rainbow in the window of a neighbor, you know that what they're trying to do is say hope is uh, hope is on the way. So that explains that. All right, we need to take a break. When we come back, we'll talk with Pastor Greg Smith. We'll talk about navigating a pandemic with faith and purpose. Pastor Greg is the pastor of Bethany Bible Church. So stay with us. We'll be back in just a few moments. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, good afternoon and welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. And this is our fun Friday program. But we're also acknowledging that we are, well, sheltering in place because there is a deadly virus uh, that is um, sickening and taking the lives of some of our neighbors. And so in the midst of all of this, I thought it would be a good idea from time to time on the program to talk with men and women who are enduring, as we are, uh, our current circumstance, this new normal, and to ask how they're navigating this pandemic with faith and purpose. And when I uh, thought about who should I speak with today, my first thought was Pastor Greg Allen. He is the pastor of, um, in the name of the church, has just escaped me. I'm getting Bethany. old and I can't remember. Bethany Bible <laughs> Church. I've been saying this for <laughs> Thank you. You're not getting uh, old. Well, no, I am, but thank you for the okay. reminder. Uh, it's a small church, but has a tremendous ministry that uh, that comes forth out of that church. And I have such tremendous respect for you and the, the church that you pastor, uh, Pastor Greg. So I thank you for taking the time to join us today. Well, thank you for having me. And I honestly feel rather honored to be on Fun Friday of all yeah. So. yeah, well, everything is changing just a little bit. So this is of greater value, I think, than some of the chuckles that we may have off and on uh, yeah. throughout the day. Let me first just ask you, as a resident of the state of Oregon, who is under the same order as the rest of us, how are you navigating this new normal 
where you are not permitted, as we are not permitted, to associate with others in close proximity. We are uh, told that social distancing is the, the thing to do. Well, of course, right away, my thought was toward my wife, who, uh, as you well know, is is uh, very, very vulnerable in a time like this. So I've, uh, of course, determined that I'm going to be very careful about who I contact or any mm-hmm. any situation that I might bring home. But because of her illness for the past three and a half years in particular, she has had to remain in home. Uh, we've only been able to get her uh, for doctor's appointments or things out of the home for maybe just a couple of times in the past three years. So this uh, sheltering down thing, we've already kind of got mastered. <laughs> and it's, yeah. uh, and uh, been, you know, it's not been an unusual set of circumstances for us. I live right next to the church, and so I'm able to go back and forth uh, throughout the day and take care of things, and we have a very understanding church family. So from that standpoint, it's not unusual. But what's unusual for, from my standpoint is the, the uh, inability to contact uh, people face-to-face, uh, having to change the nature of how we uh, associate within our church family. Uh, but we're finding that everybody's uh, very, very accepting of this, and we're, we're able to work with it uh, rather effectively, I think. Yeah. Now, I know for many churches, um, having their services made available online has been uh, at least one way to stay connected. How is Bethany Bible uh, managing and connecting as a congregation? Well, I feel really excited to be a TV star now. And uh, <laughs> it's been kind of fun to, to you know, you, know, you have to make sure that the camera is situated. We have a nice setting. Do I look good? You know, makeup and everything. But uh, it's actually been uh, a rather uh, fascinating turn for us because we're a very small church, but uh, we have uh, some folks in the church who have some ingenuity in that department, and we put together a uh, system where we're operating on Facebook Live. And we discovered last week, uh, it was either the last week or the first week, we've done it for two weeks now, that we had a reach meaning uh, the numbers of people that our tiny little church was able to uh, potentially reach uh, was over 600. And uh, the last two Sundays, we've had what were called engagements, which where we actually have someone watch the service. Uh, The first one was 179. I think the second one was 170-something. So... It's a really a tremendously larger reach than we would have had otherwise. Mm-hmm. And I've heard from folks, uh, friends up in the Seattle area who watch us. Uh, the other day I got a note from some friends in Portugal. So uh, it's, uh, you know, when, when my uh, friend tells me that we're online, I always have a momentary shock because I'm realizing there's a lot more people than just the guy in front of me. Yeah, we're, we're yeah. talking to, but uh, that's been a, a, a remarkable uh, turn of events for, I think, a lot of churches right now. Absolutely. I know that when there is a crisis in America, people tend to return to the church or go to the church. This is unusual in that you cannot congregate as a fellowship at a church building, but technology has made it possible for people uh, to attend church to sit in on a service, maybe with friends, maybe with strangers, uh, and to hear the word of God. So we're not prevented from 
pursuing and finding ways to find uh, spiritual um, enrichment. Now, I know for many of us, we are grieving the loss of the life that we're used to, the freedom that we have enjoyed. But let's talk about the opportunity that we also have. I think what you've just described uh, certainly is one example of the opportunity that our current circumstance presents to us. But what other opportunities do you see before us as we comply with uh, what the state has said? We need to stay apart from one another. Uh, And yet, as the body of Christ, we are called uh, to minister uh, to our communities and and friends and co-workers and so on. Well, let me share a passage of Scripture that's been very important to me through this whole process. And that's been Philippians chapter 1. The Apostle Paul, you'll remember, there was in prison... And the Philippians wrote to him because they were concerned about, well, what does this mean for the gospel? Our, our apostle is, is in jail. And uh, what, what, what's going to happen? And he wrote back to them and said, I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the mm. gospel. So that it becomes evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord have become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. He said some indeed do it to make him feel bad, but uh, he said it didn't work because he said, uh, what then only that in every way, whether in pretense or truth, Christ is preached. And in this I rejoice, yes, and will rejoice. And I've gone to that passage often throughout this process, and I think about our church, a tiny little country church, And here we are putting our services online, and we are reaching further than we could have ever imagined doing so. You've got churches all over the city, all over the country, really, really, literally all over the world, that are putting their services online, and they are reaching people that never would have set foot in a a church uh, door, and they're hearing the message of the gospel. They're hearing uh, the Lord Jesus pointed to. And they're responding. And uh, you and I, uh, we've talked often and we've prayed often for revival in our time. And uh, I, you know, we've talked about how we don't really want to tell God how to do that. He, he wouldn't do what we tell him anyway. Right? <laughs> but uh, he does these remarkable things and answers these prayers. He's heard every prayer that we've ever prayed for an awakening in our time. And then this happens. And now look what's happening. The message of the gospel is going out to, to further places, to more people in their homes, on their phones, that never would have listened to it before. And uh, that's, I, I believe, God's answer. He is allowing what is happening to the furtherance of the gospel. Uh, I was just talking a few hours ago to a, a student. As you know, I'm uh, on adjunct faculty at Multnomah University. And uh, he was very discouraged about the turn of events. He had to move to California just to be safe, to be with family. And uh, just kind of felt like uh, his ministry was over. And we we spent some time talking and praying about this. And I was trying to encourage him to think of the different ways that right now, in this crisis, he can he can reach people to and fulfill his ministry requirements at the same time. And I was very encouraged. He said, okay, I'm going to do it. And he's, he's continuing mm. with the program and, uh, and just exploring new uh, creative answers to the, to the needs around us. And it's just really exciting. Yeah, Although it is I, exciting. The, the excitement, of course, is tainted by the, the realities of the seriousness of the illness. 
Yeah, uh, yeah. But but uh, but it's exciting, nevertheless, to see what God is doing to further His gospel. Now, it's sad to me that I'm sitting at my home and you're at your house and you and I and Marilyn and Dan Rice, we can't get together. That's not possible for us right now. But we do have unfettered access to the throne of grace and opportunities to pray for people we may not be able to connect with face to face. Talk a little bit about um, the, the virtue of having that access and the invitation by God himself to come boldly before the throne of grace. Uh, while we're separated from one another, at least physically. Well, you know, it's an interesting thing to think about. I was just happening to read uh, recently from the book of Exodus in my daily reading time. You read the story of the tabernacle, and you read of how there's the courtyard, and then there's the altar, and then there's the laver, and it goes on further to the holy place, and it's draped off. Can't go any further. And inside there is the table of showbread, the lampstand, and the the, the uh, altar of incense. And then there's another veil. And behind that is the Holy of Holies, where is the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat above it and the spot between the two cherubim where God identified his uh, presence to his people. And you just think of all the barriers that were there. And I suppose you could draw an analogy of our situation right now. There mm. are a lot of barriers that are put up now because of this reality of a, a virus that's a product when you trace it all back to, to Adam and his sin. And what God did when Jesus died on the cross was he put his finger, as it were, at the very top of that most holy veil and ripped it right down the middle and opened the way to the Holy of Holies. And Paul, or well, I shouldn't say that, the writer of Hebrews, I don't know if it was Paul, or I always think it's Paul, uh, the writer of Hebrews says that now we are able to boldly approach the throne of grace, the veil being taken out of the way. Yes. And that's, uh, that's the underlying theme of any crisis that we go through uh, together like this, or the, the fear that may accompany it, or the, the challenges. Behind it all is a God who has broken open the way for us to come to him, and we do so. And I think of, you know, you, you mentioned how we'd all love to get together. Boy, I tell you, I'd love to get a cheeseburger right now. <laughs> but, but that's a little, little off-the-track thing there. I was just complaining for a moment. But you think of the time when we are all going to be able to be together again. Isn't that going to be like heaven? Pretty yes. close. <laughs> yes, it will and be. And there'll be cheeseburgers. Yes. <laughs> We're going to take a quick break, but we'll continue our conversation with Pastor Greg Allen. He's the pastor of Bethany Bible Church. See, I can remember some things. So stay with us. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to the Friday edition of The Georgine Rice Show. I'm continuing my conversation with Pastor Greg Allen, who is the pastor of Bethany Bible Church. And as he mentioned, he and his wife, Marilyn, are hunkered down in their home. She has some underlying conditions that makes her particularly vulnerable uh, to this COVID virus. So that makes... Uh, makes it imperative that Pastor Greg remain at home and separated from people who might be carriers. I would like to encourage all of us to remember Marilyn in um, in our prayers. She is such a sweet, dear uh, woman, um, and I so appreciate, Pastor Greg, how you refer to her. Um, one of the things that uh, really caught my attention early on when I was getting to know you is how you spoke of your wife, 
how tenderly you spoke of her, how it was evident that you loved her. And I knew the challenge that the two of you faced because of her physical and medical condition, uh, that you weren't able to do uh, a lot of what other people do and take for granted. So I just have such respect for the both of you and your sweet, uh, sweet Marilyn. So I'd like to encourage our listeners to remember uh, her in prayer as all of us are trying to protect ourselves and those that we love and uh, others around us. You mentioned earlier in the program, Pastor Greg, uh, about um, praying for an awakening. And I know that has been uh, on your heart for many years and that you and members of your church pray regularly for an awakening in our our country, in our state, in our communities. Let's first of all, just describe what an awakening is and how we can together pray that God would move in a miraculous way in our communities. Well, I've grown to appreciate what I think is a distinction between the words that we often use. An awakening would be something that would be a, a gracious work of God in the unbelieving community, where suddenly they are realizing their need for Jesus Christ, and uh, uh, and, and and the, the gospel is responded to. I think now of a revival as more having to do with the church. Uh, the name itself implies that uh, for something to be revived, it must be vived in the first place. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I think of a revival as God awakening his people, and they begin to repent of sin, they begin to take uh, their standing before God seriously, they begin to increase their prayers, they begin to be more aware of the, the needs, the spiritual need of people around them. Uh, they begin to yearn for what God yearns for. I always think of how Jesus said, uh, didn't tell us to go out, look at all the, the uh, people, uh, sheep without a shepherd. Now go get them. You know, he didn't say that. He said, pray. Pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send workers into his harvest. And I think when the people of God begin to earnestly yearn for God to raise up those who would reach the lost, they themselves are being transformed. I think that's what an awa- a revival is. But when God brings his people where he wants them to be, he awakens the lost around them to, to the need of, of the gospel. And we have, in our history, six major, what we call a revival movement. They're actually awakenings where the unsaved world opened their eyes. In our nation, six of them. Great Awakening, Second Great Awakening, the Third Great Awakening, or the uh, Layman's Prayer Movement. Uh, there was the global revival in 1904-1905, the mid-century thrust with uh, Billy Graham in the 1940s and 50s, and then the Jesus movement. And if you look at those different awakenings, they are almost always accompanied by some great national crisis that brought people to their needs and helped them to see the the, the need of their soul. And uh, I'm, I'm I'm looking at our current situation and how many of us have been praying for that awakening in our time. And perhaps God is shaking people up and helping them to see uh, their their need for him, their need for his grace, and to move them to cry out to him. So I'm praying for both a revival of God's people and an awakening of the lost. Mm. You know, we keep hearing about the uh, the nature of our current circumstance. It is unprecedented, and we're witnessing something that's never, uh, we've never seen in this country before. And I'm always reminded that God is not surprised by what's happened. He's not confused by it, um, that in his plan and purposes, he wants to 
give us the opportunity to to um, draw near to him and to listen closely to what he would say to our own hearts, but then to seize opportunities to minister uh, to others. So this really is a very unique season that we're in, and we would do well to, to seize the opportunity to be led by the Holy Spirit and to see what God wants to do during this time. Right. If I were to encourage our brothers and sisters in Christ, I would say now is the time to do things like, uh, you know, of course, we're, we're all having to sequester ourselves for a while, but to be wherever your church is presenting itself, whether it's online or however, be there, be a part of it. Don't sit and watch the gardening shows on Sunday morning. Be at church. Uh, increase your time in the Word of God. Read the Bible regularly. Make it a pattern of your life that you're daily feeding on it. Learn to pray. Learn to repent. You know, ask ask God in the, the trials of life, God, what, what are you trying to get rid of in my life right now? And and just let him bring us where he wants us to be. Uh, I wonder, Georgine, if I may share something real quick. Please. I was, I, was, I was debating whether to do this, but our church, of course, has been praying for revival for some time. About six months ago, there was a woman that came up to me after church, and she told me that she had a prophetic word. Now, I'm always a little careful, you know, with people I don't even know who yeah. come up with a prophetic word. But... She said, uh, she handed me a quarter. She said, you keep a hold of this and you think about this quarter because God is about to do something to shake the city of Portland and a quarter of the people are going to come to Christ. Mm. And I never saw her again. And she told me, you better get ready for, for what God is about to do. And I went, well, that's, that's interesting. And I, I tried to evaluate that. Two days later, a completely unrelated event a gentleman in our church asked to speak to our church leadership, and, and we got together, and he said, I've, I was reading the passage in the scriptures about how the prophet Elijah told the woman to get all of those vessels together, and get them ready, because to start to pour the oil in the vessels, you remember that story? Yes, and yes. To get all the vessels, get as many empty vessels as you can. He said, I feel like God is telling our church to get all the empty vessels they can get because God is about to do something. This was unrelated to the thing that happened two days before. And after this brother shared this with us, I turned to our leaders and I told them, you know what happened two days ago? And we were all just kind of stunned. Well, you know, we take that however we take it, but it, it did feel to me like God is letting us know, letting the city of Portland know, maybe the nation, that he's about to do something. We need to be getting ready for it. We need to clean up house. We need to, as it were, get the empty vessels all together so that we can welcome uh, an inflow of, of, of people coming to Christ and to be able to nurture them and help them to grow. That's, you know, take it for what that's worth. I've given you about as much authority as I, I, I would have on that, but uh, it, it does impress me that God is about to do something tremendous. Mm. Well, I will certainly pray, pray in that way. Well, Pastor Gray, I so appreciate your insight, uh, your pastoral heart. Uh, we'll keep you and Marilyn in our prayers and um, look forward to the next time we can be in close physical proximity. Until then, brother, love you and thank you so much. Love you too. And let's plan for you and me and Dan and, George and, and Marilyn to have a cheeseburger. <laughs> we'll do it. Okay, all Thank right. you so much. <laughs> bye bye. <laughs>
Hey, you're listening uh, to the Georgine Rice Show. We've got news and traffic coming up at the top of the hour, so stay with us. When we come back, a brief look at the headlines and a few, you know, lighter stories from the news as well. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to the second hour of the Georgine Rice Show. James Blend is with me. Well, sort of. He's socially distanced, clear over at his house, but we're having a fun time on a Friday afternoon, at least a little bit of fun, wedged in between some, you know, more serious and inspiring conversation. Coming up but later this hour, we're going to hear from Paul Couches. He's the author of A Small Book for Hurting Hearts, our interview of the week. So I hope you can stick around for that. A quick look at some of the day's headlines. The United States on Thursday overtook uh, China and Italy in confirmed coronavirus cases with over 82,000 in all. It's a grim milestone reported by John Hopkins University researchers. As the U.S. surged up to 82,404 confirmed cases on Thursday, it took the number one spot from China, which has 81,782 cases, followed by Italy with 80,589. The U.S. now has accounted for about 14.9% of cases worldwide. And the House of Representatives today overwhelmingly approved a more than $2 trillion package to combat the coronavirus epidemic and to send economic relief to workers and businesses squeezed by restrictions meant to stop the outbreak of the spread or the spread of the uh, virus. The legislation approved by voice vote, uh, despite an 11th hour drama arising from a GOP lawmaker, amounts to the costliest stimulus plan in U.S. history. It includes checks for most Americans, boosted unemployment aid, help for small business, as well as a massive loan fund for corporations at a time when unemployment is surging at a record pace, a consequence of businesses closing in compliance with social distancing guidelines. And a few uh, takeaways uh, on the coronavirus uh, pandemic. The president overall, his job approval rating has ticked up. And equal numbers of voters, 9 in 10, are concerned about the spread of the coronavirus in the U.S. and that the virus will cause a recession. And that, of course, requires two quarters in which the uh, uh, GDP is down. More than 4 in 10 say someone in their household lost their job or, or uh, work hours because of the virus. And the number of Republicans feeling nervous about the economy is up 26 points. Voters are split over whether the president's response to the outbreak is appropriate, while one quarter feel most Americans are overreacting. And when asked when Uncle Sam's ability to check Mother Nature more blame the government for the virus spreading the way it did than um, say it was ins- unstoppable. And most voters say their daily life has changed because of coronavirus, and uh, large numbers are praying for health, avoiding public places, and washing their hands. More Democrats than Republicans are concerned about the virus spreading nationally and about person um, personally catching it. And finally, uh, coronavirus in Oregon, 98 new cases in the last day, brings that st- uh, state tally up to 414. Oregon State and county health officials on Friday reported nearly 100 new coronavirus cases, marking the largest increase of infections in a single day and bringing the number of confirmed COVID-19 cases in the state to 414. The Oregon Health Authority also reported the state's 12th death linked to the illness, an 82-year-old Marion County woman who died Wednesday at Salem Hospital. She had underlying medical conditions, according to state officials. Residents in Clark County, 10, Columbia, 1, Deschutes, Douglas, and Jackson, 3 and 1, respectively, Klamath, 1, Lane, 2, Lynn County, 2, Marion, 26, Morrow, 1, Multnomah County, 22, cases of uh, coronavirus 
uh, Polk County, four, Umatilla, one, Wasco County and Washington, 18, Yamhill, four, counties tested positive for the virus in the last 24 hours, according to the health authority. I'm grateful that we can pray fervently for those in our community, in our states, and for those making decisions about how resources are allocated and what uh, the right moves are to take for the days ahead. Well, it's beginning to look a little more like Christmas. Why is that? Well, about 100 million Americans are now under instruction to shelter in place to stop the spread of the coronavirus outbreak, and some are responding in a fairly unusual way. They're putting up their Christmas lights. In an effort to raise spirits, seasonal decor is emerging from garages, sheds, and closets for a rare spring appearance. Over the weekend, Hallmark Channel even broke out its Christmas movies. Of course, it's not Christmas, but you get the idea. The host of Christmas Past podcast said the holiday got lost amid impeachment news and a calendar that had the fewest days possible between Thanksgiving and Christmas. Well, it didn't get lost on all of us, but so what are we going to see now? It feels like an equal parts do-over of 2019 and grabbing at something that feels warm and comforting. Well, I would encourage those who are putting up their Christmas lights to consider while they are beautiful to see those lights that drawing near to the light of the world might be a better option in dealing with the current challenge. Well, self-isolating during the coronavirus pandemic isn't going to be easy, but some people are finding simple pleasures under the circumstance. Case in point, on Monday, many cat owners posted photos of their felines on Twitter and in the process turned Hashtag quarantine cats into a thing. It's a trending term. The posts range from the adorable to the hilarious, often at the same time. So if you're looking for something to do, you might want to check out hashtag quarantine cats and post the image of your feline online. I won't be watching that. I'm not really a cat person. And then there's Jimmy Fallon. He started the hashtag uh, new had cabin fever win. I knew I had cabin fever win. Again, the hashtag at the beginning. Anyway, he started the hashtag when he posted that he'd whispered to his hand sanitizer, you're like a son to me. Misery loves company, especially when the misery is caused by self-isolation because of the coronavirus concern. So with millions staying at home to avoid the spread of the COVID-19, there are a lot of people feeling a little stuck. Luckily, Jimmy Fallon feels your pain. On Wednesday on his program, The Tonight Show, uh, the host posted a tweet that included hashtags that struck a chord with the house, um, the housebound, which is pretty much all of us. Again, hashtag I knew I had cabin fever when. Well, the show quickly sent out another tweet asking folks to share their own tales of cabin fever. And as you might expect, people were happy to do just that, especially because they had well, lots of time on their hands. Well, one says, I knew I had cabin fever when I started shooting at flies uh, with the BB gun from the kitchen window. Might not be the best option at this time. Um, let's see. Is there another? No, I guess that's the only one that I have. But uh, you can join in with others. I knew I had cabin fever when. And don't forget that hashtag on Twitter. Well, as tens of millions heed orders to stay at home during the virus pandemic, officials in California are warning people to beware of what they flush. In the weeks since COVID-19 pandemic, uh, has spread. Officials have discouraged hoarding supplies such as toilet paper, paper towels, with uh, which have been flying off the shelves in some stores. Well, according to market research firm Nielsen, toilet paper sales nationally have jumped about 213 percent in the week ending the 13th of March, compared to the same period a year before. People simply hoarding. Well, stores such as Costco and Walmart are still getting shipments of toilet paper, but shelves quickly empty out as soon as they're restocked. 
Smaller retails and convenience stores have fared better. But for those running out of toilet paper, turning to alternatives already is having an impact on some communities. In the northern California city of Redding, wastewater management officials said Thursday that someone apparently used shredded T-shirts in place of toilet paper, causing, you guessed it, a sewer backup. A soiled T-shirt caused pumps in one of the city's sewer lines to clog at a lift station, which could have led to a dangerous spill. They said the incident showed why it's important to avoid flushing anything other than toilet paper. Anything other than toilet paper. That includes paper towels, Kleenex, and, you guessed it, wipes. By the way, in that same vein, you should know it's uh, one of the key questions as Americans wait out the coronavirus outbreak at home. How long will my stash of toilet paper last? Well, there's a new website called How Much Toilet Paper. Wow, people really do have time on their hands. How Much Toilet Paper is the name of the website. Uh, And uh, it claims to um, tell you how many rolls um, you need and when yours are going to run out. Well, simply set the top bar to how many rolls you currently have, then set the number, uh, the second bar rather, on how many average bathroom visits you make per day, and the website calculator does the rest. I suppose it also asks how many people are in the household. If you have a standard uh, package of four rolls, for example, the website says that will last you 32 days if you make an average of two visits per day. The website has now been used by over 2 million people and is helping to reduce the toilet paper shortage around the world. At least that's what it claims. By the way, that new website... How much toilet paper? Check it out if you need to to do a little math. Hey, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Coming up, we're going to share with you our interview of the week, and that is with uh, Paul Touches. His book is titled A Small Book for the Hurting Heart, and you might find some encouragement there and a way to pick up that book. Uh, You can certainly order it online. And then we'll wrap things up with a word of faith for the church and uh, resources that are currently available and some other stuff. We'll let you know what's coming up next week. So stay with us. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back in just a few moments. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Well, good afternoon and welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. I've so looked forward to this next conversation I'm going to have with my next guest, Paul Touches. He is the author of A Small Book for the Hurting Heart, Meditations on Loss, Grief, and Healing. It seems like this is a season in which many of us are questioning whether or not God is with us or if he cares. And this little book, this devotional, I think is going to help us all. No matter the loss, God offers comfort. And that is the main message of this small devotional book with a big message. Well, loss comes in many forms. The death of a loved one, unemployment due to downsizing or a coronavirus, a relationship ripped apart by a conflict or divorce, even the loss of a dream. Well, that list goes on and on. And although with the specific circumstances, circumstances of each grief are as unique as the person grieving, what remains the same is the inner pain being experienced and the need to apply God's gracious promises to each of them. Well, in a small book for the hurting heart, Meditations on Loss, Grief, and Healing, my next guest, Paul Touches, he offers 50 short devotions filled with messages of hope and help, encouragement and healing by biblically and transparently addressing the heart and faith struggles in the midst of this grief. He delves deeply but gently into the issues of the heart, presenting encouragement and comfort in the character of God. Well, Paul Talches holds a doctorate in ministry. He is a pastor of Cornerstone Community Church in Mayfield Heights, Ohio. He's also a recognized leader in biblical counseling and has authored many books on topics related to pastoral ministry, counseling, and parenting. He's an adjunct college professor at ACBC Fellow 
In addition to writing regularly on his blog, Counselor, Counseling One Another, he has written for Crosswalk and the Biblical Counseling Coalition. He's been married to his wife, Karen, for 32 years. Together, they cherish their 10 children and growing tribe of grandchildren. And we are so delighted to have you with us, Paul Touches. Welcome. Thank you so much, Georgine. I've been looking forward to this. Well, my first question is, how are you doing there uh, in, uh, in your area, your part of the world, in Mayfield Heights, Ohio? Yeah, well, we are all hunkered down safe and sound in our homes. Um, we are keeping at least uh, one person on staff at church during the week so that um, our congregation does know that they can find someone uh, physically there in the church building. But otherwise, we're doing our uh, live stream services like most churches are doing on Sunday uh, mornings. But we praise God that uh, we're able to communicate and stay connected in such uh, a variety of ways nowadays. Yeah, that is such a blessing that we can uh, we can do that. Let me ask you, the book that I'm holding in my hand is a very small book, as the title suggests, a small book for the hurting heart. I can hold it easily in one hand, but it is full of tremendous wisdom that encourages your reader to have confidence in the God who sees and the God who cares. Tell us a little bit about the format of a small book for the hurting heart and how it's intended to be used. Yeah, uh, Georgine, it's a, it's a collection of 50 brief meditations. And when I say brief, you know, most of them are uh, no longer than three pages. Uh, they're drawn from small portions of scripture where I take uh, a verse or two and um, explain it in its context and how it applies to us in our times of loss and our times of need. Um, God worked in my heart in, in many different ways as I was writing this book and even preparing to write it. And uh, the burden of my heart is that seeing that principle in Second Corinthians 1, that God is the God of all comfort, but he comforts us in our times of affliction, but it doesn't stop there. Um, there's supposed to be an ongoing ministry that we have to be uh, I like to say a conduit of comfort to other people. So we take the comfort that God has given to us through his word and pass it on to others. And it's really what I've tried to do in this little book. Um, when we first talked about doing this um, with the publisher, um, I, I stressed the importance that we think of this as a gift book. And so I was so uh, encouraged that um, they decided to put it into a little hardcover uh, you know, packaging so that, because we all know, first, we all experience loss and grief in so many different ways, but we also all know other people in our lives who need God's comfort. And, and so I want to be able to pass it on to other people. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we all think about grief in terms of someone losing a loved one, um, that kind of loss, but there are other types of grief. In fact, I was on uh, reading a blog earlier today, a personal friend who said for the first time since this whole coronavirus thing has, has broken, that she broke out into tears and recognized that what she was experiencing was grief, the loss of loss of the life that mm -hmm. she had known prior to all of this. What are some of the other kinds of grief and loss um, that you speak to in the book? Yeah, well, I, well, I talked about not only, you know, the, the grief that we experience from the loss of a loved one through death, but of the loss of relationships, uh, very common in our lives, whether it's through conflict or betrayal or estrangement, divorce, um, sometimes cross-country moves when God moves us to different places or loss of relationships. 
um, loss of financial security. You know, businesses fail, uh, mortgages get foreclosed on. Uh, there's unemployment. Sometimes it's short term. You know, which I, I'm hoping is what we're experiencing now with mm-hmm. the coronavirus. Uh, sometimes it's a long term unemployment. Um, sometimes there's a loss of of a sense of value and worth through abuse, um, loss of health, loss of you know, dreams. I mean, disability is so common in people's lives and it just changes people's lives forever. So I've tried to draw out uh, examples and truths from the scriptures that apply to those various situations to show that God's word really is sufficient to address the needs of our heart. And the Holy Spirit is, uh, is the one, of course, who wrote the scriptures through men. And he takes the truth of God's word and applies it to uh, each of our particular situations. And grief is common, but it's never the same in the sense of uh, of each of the of our circumstances, our particulars. They're all unique. You've served not only as a pastor, which you are currently serving, uh, but also as a counselor and a hospice chaplain. Have you ever been overwhelmed by the grief of others as you are serving? Yes, I, I have uh, often found myself in that situation and uh, because bringing God's comfort to people who are hurting can be overwhelming. Um, but I, I've learned over the years that I, and I, I'm not saying I've <laughs> learned it once and for all because I, uh, I still struggle at times, but uh, I've learned that I need to consciously remind myself that God is the one who says, I'm the God of all comfort. You know, mm-hmm. um, God is the one who says, I'm your healer. And, and I'm just a, a vehicle, I'm just a channel, I'm just a vessel in the hands of the Lord. Um, you know, Jesus is the good shepherd. God is the faithful, tender, uh, heavenly Father. And the Spirit of God is the other comforter that Jesus promised to send. So just reminding myself that the resources that a person needs in their time of grief and loss are not original with me. They are from God. They're through his word. Um, they're through the Holy Spirit's ministry to us through his word. And so as long as I learn to be one who listens to the person who is grieving uh, and then listens to the Lord in delivering the, the, the gentle truth that's needed in that person's life, then, then I won't become overwhelmed. <laughs> that's, that's the way it's supposed to be. Yeah, yeah. I so appreciate that reminder because sometimes I think we assume that role and we, we're reluctant to engage people who are grieving because we know we can't fulfill what they need, but we, we're not called to do that. We're called to be yeah, present. Exactly. Which, and sometimes presence is the most important yes. uh, thing for a person. Yeah, absolutely. We're talking about a small book for the hurting heart, Meditations on Loss, Grief, and Healing. My guest is uh, Paul Touches. Uh, just a wonderful, uh, so I, I'm pointing out that it's a small book in terms of its size, but it has uh, such profound truth in it because it's drawn from God's word. Now, you have not only ministered to those who have uh, are experiencing grief, but you have also been struck in your own family um, with grief, grief in a very uh, deep way. Would you mind sharing about your own grief journey? Yeah, it's interesting, Georgine. Um, I never would have known that when I was writing this book and then submitting it to the publisher over a year ago, that from the time that I turned the book into the publisher, 
uh, by its deadline and the time that I would actually hold that book in my hand um, as an actual you know, product and finished uh, project that, that God would cause us to walk through two very significant losses. Uh, it was just a few months after I finished the book that my father-in-law was suddenly taken to glory. Uh, we knew that he was dying. Um, we knew his health was failing, but we thought that we had until Christmas, you know, with him. But it was uh, in June. All of a sudden, uh, he was gone. And um, so there's adjustment there. Even though we lived far away from uh, my in-laws geographically, uh, they've always been so precious and dear to me and, of course, to my, my wife and our kids. But then, uh, right before Christmas then... Um, we lost a granddaughter um, mm. in infancy. She lived, um, she lived only 45 minutes after she was born. And um, that, too, was we were expecting it in the sense that the, the medical uh, doctors did know what was going on and the likelihood that she would survive was, was next to nothing. Um, but even, even when you expect loss, it, it still catches you off guard in a sense yeah. because you're never really fully ready. You can prepare yourself, but you're never really fully prepared. Yeah. And, and yeah. so, um, you know, losses like that can really take the wind out of your sails for a time. And, um, you know, you find yourself in that valley of sorrow. But I, I'm so thankful that uh, God's word is filled with so many precious promises that he is near and he is our comforter and he is our healer. And so, again, going back into the word of God uh, to get the comfort that we need. Amen. We're going to take a quick break, but we'll continue my conversation with Paul Touches. His book, A Small Book for the Hurting Heart, Meditations on Loss, Grief, and Healing. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, and we'll be back in just a few moments. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show and continuing my conversation with Paul Touches. He is the author of a small book for the hurting heart, Meditations on Loss, Grief, and Healing. Just a, a tremendous resource uh, covering 50 days um, to meditate on these uh, these subjects in the context of God's word. In your book, you relentlessly connect God's comfort to the gospel. Explain that connection that we can sometimes miss when we are overwhelmed by grief or perhaps um, confounded by how to approach others who are grieving. Yeah, you know, we think of the gospel and we think of the good news of Jesus Christ that uh, God sent his only uh, begotten son to die on the cross for our sins as the Lamb of God, as the fully acceptable sacrifice for our sins, and then God rose him from the grave to uh, to demonstrate that he is the King of Kings and, and that his sacrifice was acceptable to God. Um, but we we sometimes think that that all of that work of Jesus was primarily for the forgiveness of our sins. And, and, and I believe it's much bigger than that. I believe that in the gospel, God is drawing nearer to us than we have ever been. Um, you know, in the garden, Adam and Eve walked with God, and they were present. They, they enjoyed his presence, and then sin entered the world through their rebellion, and, um, and, and there was this separation then between God and man, and 
um, the beauty of the gospel is that it's a demonstration that God is drawing near to us. Mm. Uh, and then, of course, it's the work of Jesus that makes it, it possible for us to draw near to him. And so I find that, to, that truth to be incredibly rich and helpful in times of grief. You know, because God's comfort uh, comes to us in, in our present circumstances. Um, and, and comes to us through his presence in the word, in the word of God. The Holy Spirit ministers to us through yeah. the word. So, but all of those promises we need to remember, all the promises of God become true for us as believers in Christ. You know, Paul says in 1 Corinthians uh, uh, chapter 1 that all of the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ. And, and so, just reminding ourselves that that any any blessing we have from God and any sense of Him comforting us in, in in His very presence is because of the gospel. It's because of what Jesus has done for us. Mm, amen. You in the second day of the devotional focus on Psalm fifty six eight that tells us that God keeps track of our sorrows and collects our tears. Why are our tears important to God? It's such a sweet passage of Scripture, but why are they treasured by God? Yeah, that is a precious uh, Scripture that the Mm -hmm. Lord drew me to a number of years ago. It was really after my mom suddenly passed away of a brain hemorrhage, and she died within three hours, and we didn't even have a chance to to get to the hospital in time to say goodbye. And And I began to realize how much tears are a gift from God. Uh, it's a it's a way to embrace the hurt that we feel to release emotion. It it also reveals the depth of our love for uh, that which we have lost, and and that that scripture you know that God is is putting all of our tears uh, in His bottle is such a beautiful poetic uh, description of how much He cares about us and He cares about our hurt. And, um, and, and that encourages us then to draw near. You know, we want to be close to people that we know care for us, right? Yes. So, but we know God cares. He listens. He cares about our hurts. He's collecting our, our tears in a bottle. And, and that's such a beautiful uh, invitation from God to draw near to me uh, for the comfort that you need. And, and remember that, that in Christ, There is nothing that will ever separate you from my love. Such a a wonderful reminder. You you remind us that in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus preaches that blessed are those who mourn. Uh, And that can be somewhat confusing to us, particularly if we're in the midst of mourning. In what ways are we blessed in times of of grief and sorrow? I would say probably the primary way we're blessed is is the way that loss nudges us to return to the Lord or to look to the Lord, yes. uh, which sometimes is a hidden blessing. Because I, I think when grievous things happen, you know, our first reaction is to turn inward rather than upward. We tend to look inside for the strength we need to endure. Uh, but if you know, if we are honest, we have to admit that we really are weak people, and it's times of loss and grief that remind us just how weak we are. But that's okay. It's okay that we're weak. You know, we, we don't have to always put on the strong face, you know, um, because God made us that way. 
we are dependent by design. And so I, I think that one of the blessings of trials and suffering and loss in whatever form they come in is that they do gently uh, nudge us to, to look to the Lord and to remember that he has, he has not abandoned us in the past. He will never abandon us. Jesus promised, I will never leave you not to save you. And, and we need to draw near to him through his word. And, and it's amazing how he speaks to the hurts of our hearts. Yes. Yeah. One of the titles given to Jesus in scripture is the man of sorrow. When we are in the midst of grief and sometimes feeling that God is remote, perhaps um, cares for us, but doesn't really relate to what we're going through, this title can become more meaningful to us. Talk a little bit about Jesus uh, as the man of sorrow and how that comforts us when we are in the midst of our own grief. Yeah, it is so comforting to know that Jesus has experienced uh, all of the feelings of hurt and loss that we feel. Uh, You know, when you think of just the abandonment alone that Jesus felt on the cross during those three hours of darkness, um, you know, when the father turned away from Jesus because our guilt was placed upon him. When he became that lamb of God who was punished in our place and he was abandoned and he was abandoned because God is holy and he cannot look at sin. And, and, and that's why Jesus cried out, you know, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Um, so we know that when we, when we feel forsaken, we feel alone, that we have in Jesus a comforter. Um, and, and a comforting high priest who totally gets it, you know, who totally understands uh, what we are going through. And we think even of his own tears that he shed, you know, at, at his friend's mm-hmm. grave. Uh, you know, he experienced that indescribable pain that sometimes can just, uh, it feels like our, our chest is being ripped open, you know, because the, the pain is so deep and so strong, and yet to know that Jesus has experienced that and more in becoming our Savior. And that should encourage us to run to him. He, he is our sympathetic high priest, as the book of Hebrews says, uh, and therefore we can draw near to him in, in our time of need. We're talking about a small book for the hurting heart, Meditations on Loss, Grief, and Healing. My guess is Paul Touches. Um what can we do to help minister to, to those? And I think what you just described can help us um, to those who are in the midst of um, their own pain and hurting, who are experiencing loss and grief. Um, what can we do to help minister to others? Well, I, I think move in closer is probably the, the, the first thing I think of. Um, and, you know, and, and that's even accentuated now for us during this coronavirus mm-hmm epidemic and, and how we all have to be shut up in our homes. But uh, but that doesn't mean we still can't move in closer to people who are hurting. There are other ways that we can move in closer through phone calls or, or text messages or, um, you know, FaceTiming them on our phones so we can actually see each other. It's move in closer, be present, um, listen a lot and speak a little. Um, and, and I encourage people that when you do speak then to someone who is in the depth of great loss, uh, keep it simple. Um, don't be preachy. You know, try to simply acknowledge their pain and assure them of your love. You, know, you can say simple things uh, like, I'm sorry. 
and and I'm I you know this this must hurt so so badly. Um, I, I think sometimes we think we have to have the right thing to say before doing anything, and I would just encourage uh, our listeners today. Whatever you do, avoid doing nothing. Don't avoid the grieving person because of your own fears and insecurities, because you think you're going to say the wrong thing. Just simply acknowledge their loss, acknowledge their hurt, try to feel their pain. Um, and, and when the Lord does lead you then to speak gracious, healing words of truth, do it gently and do it with care. Um, and, and just love people through their valley of suffering. Well, I so appreciate this small book for the hurting heart, Meditations on Loss, Grief, and Healing, and I appreciate your taking the time to talk with us today. Paul Touches, thank you so much. Oh, thank you, Georgina. It's been a joy and pleasure. It has for me as well. Thank you, and God bless. Thank you. By the way, the book is published by New Growth Press and is available in bookstores or, for these days, online. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We've got news and traffic coming at the top of the hour, so stay with us. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to the final segment of The Georgine Rice Show. We'd like to wrap things up and also give you a glimpse of what's coming up next week on the program. There have been some changes, so we'll uh, let you know what's happening. On uh, Monday, we're going to talk with um, the author of Taboo, 10 Facts You Can't Talk About. Now, these are things that we sometimes... Uh, mistake for, well, truth. We'll talk with Wilfred Riley, who is the author of that book published by Regnery. On Tuesday, we'll have our Radiothon for the Union Gospel Mission. And this is an annual event, and as you can imagine, under this current circumstance, Union Gospel Mission is facing some unique challenges of their own. So I hope you will join us on Tuesday. David Harms will join me in studio for the Union Gospel Mission. On Wednesday, we'll talk with Jonathan Dodson, our God Crisis or rather, it's our good crisis, overcoming moral chaos with the Beatitudes. So uh, looking forward to that. We're working on some other things uh, for the week as well. And I'm especially excited about having more voices from our community talk about how they're navigating the coronavirus with faith and purpose. So uh, listen up for more opportunities to hear from some of our neighbors uh, throughout next week. Well, some of the things that we have learned or at least need to learn and perhaps relearn during this coronavirus the fact that we are more frail than we perhaps had imagined. We are in the 21st century. We are used to everything being instant, uh, that there's a cure for everything and some easy tablet one can consume and take care of any problems that we might have. We are more fragile than we like to admit. This global crisis is teaching us how weak we are as human beings. At the time of um, this program, we're seeing more people contract virus. We're seeing a death toll increase, but we're reminded of Psalm 90, 12. And, um, that's a good place to uh, to start to remember what the Word of God says. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Perhaps we won't be quite so uh, overconfident with a life that will never end. And then Psalm 103, 15 through 16. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower in the field. The wind blows over it and it's gone and its place remembers it no more. We've learned that we are more frail than we have liked uh, perhaps to admit. We also have learned that, um, well, we're more equal than we like to think. You have members of Congress with COVID-19. Prince William, 
uh, or was it Prince Charles has COVID-19? The prime minister of the UK has COVID-19. It's no respecter of, ver- of uh, persons. This virus doesn't uh, respect ethnic boundaries or national borders. It's not a Chinese virus. It's ours. It's in Afghanistan and Belgium, Cambodia, Denmark, France. 77 countries and counting have been contaminated with this virus. We're all members of the great human family created in the image of God. And the color of our skin, the language we speak, our accents, our cultures count for nothing in the eyes of a contagious disease. In the eyes of the world, we're all different. In the eyes of the virus, we're just the same. In our suffering, in the pain of losing a loved one, we're completely equal, weak, and without answers. We do well to remember. And our loss of control. Again, in the 21st century, we like to think that we control everything, or at least the government can, or somebody will. We all love to be in control. We fancy ourselves captains of our destiny, masters of our fate. The reality is that today, more than ever before, we can control significant parts of our lives. We can control our homes, heating and security remotely. We can move money around uh, with a click of an app. But perhaps this sense of control is an illusion. It's a bubble that the coronavirus has popped, revealing the reality that we are all trying to avoid. And then there's the pain that we share in being excluded. We're not together in a group like we're used to being. We're separated from one another. Being excluded and isolated isn't an easy thing since we're created for relationship, but many people now are having to deal with isolation. It's an experience the leper community of Jesus' day knew all too well, forced to live on their own, walking the streets of their hometown, shouting, unclean, unclean. We are separate from one another. And we're learning the difference between fear and faith, or at least I hope we are. Perhaps this crisis is challenging us to react in a different way, with faith and not fear. Faith is um, not in the stars and not some unknown deity, rather faith in Jesus Christ, the good shepherd who is also the resurrection and the life. And we're learning our need of God and our need to pray. In the midst of a global crisis, how can we as individuals possibly make a difference? Often we feel so small and insignificant, we forget that we have an invitation to the throne of grace. And the vanity of so much of our lives is melting away. We also learn to hope in the sense the most important question is, what hope do we have in the face of this coronavirus? Because Jesus came to warn us of the presence of a far more lethal and widespread virus, one that has struck every man, woman, and child, the virus that ends in not only certain death, but eternal death. Our species, according to Jesus, lives in the grip of a pandemic outbreak called sin. What is your hope in the face of that virus? And perhaps we are all remembered, uh, reminded to take that challenge that knowledge more seriously. Well, we are out of time. I want to thank James Blend for producing our programs this week and doing a great job under difficult circumstances. And Clark for doing the same as engineer of this program. Appreciate you guys so much. Look forward to being in the same location at some point in the near uh, near future. But until then, we'll do our best to continue broadcasting. Thanks for making the Georgine Rice Show part of your day and have a great, a great weekend. Good night. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at Show, and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ.